Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we are delighted to be chatting to Code for America CEO, Amanda Renteria. Amanda's had an incredible career, having held a number of high-profile positions within the public sector, which ultimately saw her become the first Latina Chief of Staff in the history of the US Senate. Throughout her varied working life, there's been one common thread though, that of public service. So she brings this wealth of experience to her current role at Code for America, the non-partisan, non-political organisation founded in 2009 to address the widening gap between the public and private sectors in their effective use of technology and design. In this episode, she chats with Intercom's Director of Brand Marketing, Sarah Tran, about how they go about this work, what tech can learn from government and vice versa, and how CX learnings can help governments leverage technology to build better services and ultimately empower its citizens. It's a really interesting chat, so let's head over to the studio and hear from Sarah and Amanda. Well, Amanda, we are so delighted to have you as a guest on Inside Intercom today. You are the CEO of an impactful and visionary organization called Code for America. And part of the mission for Code for America is to use the principles and practices of the digital age to improve how government serves the American public and how the public improves government. So needless to say, it's a really interesting time to be chatting with you about your organization's work. So welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for engaging in exactly this kind of conversation because it's an important way to get there. Fantastic. So before we jump right into it, because we have so many questions, so many great conversations to be had, I'd actually love to spend just a little bit of time on your background. Um, and please jump in if, if any of this is inaccurate. But you started out in the financial industry and then made a shift change to become a teacher in I believe your hometown, potentially small hometown. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> And then you've actually spent most of your career in public service, which is amazing. You served as the COO for the California Department of Justice. You worked with Secretary Clinton as her national political director for the 2016 presidential campaign. And then, of course, among your many, many accolades, you're also the first Latina chief of staff in the history of the U.S. Senate. That's right. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> it's It's been a lot of different things within, uh, within public service, but yeah. um, there's nothing quite like waking up and your job is to try and make the world better. And that's really what led me into all of these different roles and getting a view into the world that is public service. Right. And it's such an interesting evolving time when you think about public service um, over the last 20 years, how much it's changed, how much people are civically engaged today, how much tech has actually uh, changed over that period of time, um, as well as all these different roles. And we're certainly talking at a time where we're seeing a whole new chapter in American, not only politics and public service, but American civic tech, gov tech world, given all the social distancing and really new world and way of doing things because of the pandemic. Right. And you joined Code for America last year. Is that correct? May of last year, spring? May May Day, yeah. First (laughs) first day of May. Um, Quite an interesting time to join. On the other hand, 
I've got to say, I mean, there's everybody was jumping into a crisis at the time, and it really does give you a window into the view of the core work and the core passions of an organization when you enter at a time like that. And so it's been quite the journey as we've tried to keep up and do anything and everything that we can to reach people with the programs we have. You joined in the midst of such an unprecedented year in American politics, in global history with the pandemic. Would you say that a lot of that sort of situation and and the stressors that are on society, is, is that what drew you to the organization? Were there other factors that drew you to Code for America? There were a host of different factors that really did surface throughout the pandemic, really. But as a you know public servant at heart, you begin to kind of look around and say, who are the organizations that are really thinking about taking government to that next level? And in a world where, you know, a year ago, politics seemed really hard to move, policy seemed really hard to move, um, what was actually getting work done is programs at the very hyper-local level, um, largely because people le- were left to fend for themselves. Cities and counties across the country were left to figure it out. And so the interesting space was really how new innovative organizations were partnering with government to do the work of really reaching people at a time where folks really needed help. That's always been true. I come from a little town in the Central Valley, a little rural town, one of the lowest income congressional districts in the state. And I've always believed the importance of government, particularly in those areas, And it became even more real during the pandemic. But I have to say, part of the reason why I'm in public service is because I've always wanted to make sure that places like that aren't forgotten, that people there are seen um, in places like Capitol Hill or the halls of Congress. And Code for America, in many ways, I like to say, is they actually bring those voices you know, into light. They bring those people into the room when developing policy and programs. And that to me is how we get to the kind of government that really does serve everyone. Right. And, you know, you, you penned a blog post recently around, you know, this transition to the new administration and, and how so much of what y'all are doing is coming in at such a great moment with the priorities of this administration. And we'll get to that later on in our conversation, but it just really emphasizes how timely this is. And, and I'm, I'm so excited to really jump in. So we could probably, you know, dedicate an entire podcast episode um, to the first question that we asked and, and your background, Amanda. I have probably so many questions about your experience with the 2016 presidential campaign um, with Secretary Clinton. But that being said, I think most importantly, we really want to just jump in and talk about the work that you do at Code for America. So when I think about that mission statement and we look a little bit beyond that, how do you all operate on a very practical level as you're thinking about, you know, applying the principles and practices of the digital age to improve how government serves the American public? Yeah, we we really are partners to government. So we take the relationship um, from this very beginning and really want to sit down with caseworkers. In addition, and a really important piece here is that we also walk with people who use government. We sit with them in social services offices. We stand in line to know how long it takes to to fill out your tax forms. Um, We really try and understand the people that are served by government and then those folks 
who are actually doing the work behind the scenes as well. That piece of it has been particularly important to us as we build real solutions that can be efficient, effective, and as we often say, that can make sure that it treats people with dignity and respect. Um, The three areas we've really focused on are criminal justice with our automatic record clearance program, our social safety net, where we do uh, hashtag get Cal fresh is one of the well-known programs that we have, but that's working on food stamps, food assistance programs, and really bringing benefits, integrated benefits together. And then we have a civic tech volunteer network that jumps in, whether there's a crisis, rapid response, or being volunteers on some of our flagship programs like tax forms help. So it's been What we want to make sure we do at Code for America is not just build the practices and principles, but continue to get better at them because we're on the ground doing the work, listening to people and making that bridge, make sure folks get what they need. And that optimization that, you know, I think about it in the world of tech as as optimizing, right? Bringing in data and optimizing that and folding it back in. But y'all are doing it at at a much wider scale. And, and, you know, it's really great to hear about, you know, you said we really sit with the people who are being served by the government. And so, you know, getting those insights directly just feels very valuable. Well, it's the only way to make sure that you have the right feedback loops, because right. at the end of the day, if you're not serving folks in the way that they want to be served, you're right. just not going to have a successful program. Yeah. And, you know, it's as we think about the serving the citizen almost as a customer and, you know, from from our standpoint, we talk about that as the the customer experience. And maybe in this sense, this is the the citizen experience when we're looking at the tasks of you know, applying these tech principles to government work. What do you think are the key areas of education within government organizations that we really need to to focus on? Yeah, I think some of this is going back to the core principle of public service, which is it really is about serving people wherever they are. And some of that on the tech side is getting our language right. We often talk about a customer, but in politics or when you're in an elected office, we talk about constituency. So maybe it's constituency service so that we're able to bridge some of those gaps. And I do think an element here is that a lot of uh, elected officials, a lot of city officials, they get feedback loops every election cycle. But we need to start actually closing that so that there are feedback loops every program, every quarter, so that you can actually integrate what you're learning from people in real time and not wait four years or two years or six years. And oftentimes that's the way government programs work at the moment. And I think we've got to close that loop and do it in real time the way that data and technology can. The second piece is, you know, I think there's this philosophy within government. And I remember being on the public service side that you're so afraid to make a mistake. You're so here that we didn't quite get it right. And I think we need to open up and embed a new philosophy that actually people and elected officials and city government and county government, we're all together in this. We're all trying to make this work in a better way. And if we can actually break down some of those judgment barriers, I think yeah. we we'll get to a better place. And then the third thing I would say is coming together on a real future vision of what government should be. I think many people think of government as something that's there, that's fixing holes, um, that's making sure that the system runs. 
And I think we together need to start thinking about government as really a competitive advantage in the world, an innovation center to push things into a new direction. Mm. And I think if we can be there, it changes how we work all work together for and with and by government. Right. I love that second point about not being afraid to fail. That's such an interesting point because you're absolutely right in in the tech world especially and I think this, you know, was might have been surfaced by Google or certainly, you know, Google is one of the first tech giants that really talked about failing fast, right? And and being able to pilot and learn things really quickly. But you're absolutely right when applied maybe to the public sector that civil servants may have a little that 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 sort of failing fast and failing quickly sounds like may not be as easily adopted or or something that's sort of common vernacular or or philosophy within the public sector. Yeah, it's hard. It's not the way the systems work. People mm. expect government to work 100% of the time. And there's just this overall belief about you cannot make a mistake. And that leads people to be risk averse or to or to lean on, well, it's been done like this in the past. And that's the part that I think um, really does harm, hinder innovation and feedback loops and a good collaborative effort as you move forward. Yeah, definitely. Such an interesting application of these two industries together. And within our tech ecosystem, you know, there's a lot of thought leadership around the sort of concept or around customer success. And it's an area we're very interested in ourselves when we're talking about customer success and the customer experience. So in your experience, are there certain specific customer success learnings that should be applied by civil servants when thinking about serving the citizen as a customer? There are. I mean, there are so many different ways that you can use data and technology to really inform whether or not programs and systems work. I think one important aspect as government takes on how to improve programs and how to really reach people where they are is making sure that tech or customer success doesn't just live in a department over there or in a silo over Mm -hmm. there, but that it is embedded to each of the programs, embedded to each of the activities and services you do. And that part is new. That part is new for government because for the most part, you know, it has still a pretty bureaucratic process of here is what my department does. And so we've got to start embedding some of those different cross-functional ways of thinking and acting in government. You know, it's interesting to think about that because, you know, for some companies even, customer success could also be siloed. And so sounds like there's a common interest across the board to really integrate customer success into the way an organization works and really putting the the customer as as sort of the cornerstone of of the activities and the programs and the initiatives. That's right. And when you think about all the different services that government does, I mean even in the work that Code for America does, customers or constituencies that we work with are different and in different places depending on the services we're working on. And there's a nuance there that's really important. When I was working at California Department of Justice, that was very different than when I was working with the state of Michigan on economic development. So that's why it's incredibly important that each of these departments has their own feedback loops and at the same time is learning cross-cutting principles of how to do client success well. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. 
It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about creating accessibility and creating an accessible government. When we, you know, for us, like I mentioned, we think a lot about customer support, customer success, how businesses can better support their customers and looking at how some tech companies really excel at offering what we call proactive support. So kind of, you know, doing that proactive outreach. A key part of thinking about this is making sure that people do get the information they need at the right time when they need it in the right place and in a place that they can access that information. So it strikes me that accessibility must be a very important factor when we're talking about offering support to citizens as opposed to customers. How do you think about that accessibility? Is it in, in fact a really important factor when we're talking about offering that sort of proactive support to citizens, getting them the information that they need at the right time? So you, you see this right now in a crisis, how important it is to get information to people in a trusted way and how valuable that is to be able to set a strategy for a country, a state. The issue is, is that government hasn't been very good at that. And, you know, we're learning, I would say government is learning in real time why you need to have that why you need to build these systems of accessibility, of communication, of trust. Much of what has been done over the last, I'd say, decade plus is a conversation about actually being afraid of reaching too many people in a program because maybe it'll be fraud or maybe someone will take advantage of it. And we've got to start changing that mentality. And, And certainly the pandemic, certainly kids being out of school and working remotely, we're all learning how to do things in a new way. But the idea of government is supposed to reach all people. Does that mean sometimes you're going you're gonna to make a mistake here or there? Yes. But the, the intention is, how do you close gaps? How do you reach as many people as possible? And if that could be the guiding light, as opposed to a fear of failure or fear of fraud, 
we would have an entirely different way of working together. And I think that's the hope for the future is as we come out of this pandemic, understanding the importance of unity and good communication, um, that's the real hope for government at large is that there's a real emphasis on being able to have that kind of dialogue with people and knowing the importance of it as government evolves over time. And using technology to support that dialogue, I imagine? Absolutely. I mean, there are ways that we can reach people that hadn't been reached before. I've been on the, you know, I've seen this from now diff very different angles. When I was on the Hill and we were um, working on healthcare.gov, how are we getting that information out there? We were trying to use sort of big media platforms, right? And then you're in an election cycle and you realize, wow, there's Instagram and text messaging and all these new ways of getting people engaged, right? I mean, it's absurd that it's taken so long. But what government, in order to really have the kind of government that is on the leading edge of innovation, it's bringing all of those tools together and saying, how do we reach you in Minnesota when we're trying to reach indigenous communities for benefits? Right. What are the systems in place that we need to bring in? And technology can be, and oftentimes is a lever in order to do that in a way that we can't do it in person. Right. And do you think some of that is also one of the factors in government really adapting these new channels and these new ways of outreach has to do with, with sort of the talent pool and the skill sets that exist within the public sector at the moment. And I know Code for America, you all have some branches where you're, you're working on fellowships and, and bringing new talent pools into the public sector. That's right. You can't do it if you don't have the skill set to continue it moving forward. I think what we've seen in the last decade and a half in the past is that governments would try something new, but then they had no one to maintain it within the systems. And that's really slowed down technology adoption. And so what we need is folks who are embedded within cities, states, governments, or federal government to make sure that it's not just a tech project or a cool app, but that it is actually changing the way people do work, the way people process um, stuff internally. And by the way, the way it can evolve over time as more tools become available, as we learn more about what people need when they need it. That's a key, a really key aspect to it. And I got to say, I am hopeful in seeing all of the fellowships we're beginning to see across the country. I am hopeful seeing the big investment that the Biden transition team has put out there in terms of what they are putting into tech in different mm -hmm. arenas. Um, that is a huge step function in beginning to change the way government operates. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very tricky balance. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking about that ourselves and, and the tech industry does as well. The way people leverage technology to communicate, how they use the different channels to communicate, even down to the way that we have conversations and our comfort level in using different channels for you know, different types of, of support when you're seeking for different types of support, it changes so right. quickly. <laughs> and, That's right. and tech has a hard time keeping up with it. And so when you when you bring in more complicated organizations and structures, like government structures, I would imagine it would take time. It does take time. I'll, I'll say this, though. If we can get it right at, at the government level, if you can really get it right, you also are such a big entity that you can drive people to a certain place. 
But it wasn't a surprise that when COVID hit, everybody went to like the city websites. And frankly, right. I, I remember seeing very few people actually hitting city websites in the same way, right? Or state websites right. in the same way. And so there is this opportunity that if you can get over the hump, you can drive it a bit here. And that's when, yeah. when I talk about this future vision of government, that's why it can be a really powerful place for innovation. And particularly as it pertains to tech and communication and client service is because you, you can push the industry in a direction. You can push technology where yeah. people are going to you. And it with a, oftentimes, and especially when I think about the pandemic, when there might you might feel like there's a dearth of information, you know, you're you are going to kind of seek it out. People are are looking for it. They're oftentimes hungry for it. So, it's just a matter of figuring out how to fill that gap. That's right, and especially at a time where I think people have a lot of questions about media, right? right. What are the trusted institutions? And right. I do to say, I still believe our democratic institutions, our state government websites are actually trusted. You might disagree with it, but you believe they're kind of trying to give you the right information. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully that trust and that sense of authority is still there. And I think, you know, as we're talking a lot about accessibility as well, it can run a lot deeper. It could be a lot more than just being able to access a website, an online form, or just, you know, sim- simply just clear information. I'd love to hear kind of how you think about accessibility as it impacts equality, diversity, inclusion, when you start to fold in all of those other other factors in, and then you look at accessibility to, to technology and information. How do you think about that? One of the ways I we talk about how to reach people where they are is almost trying to think of, yes, we're technology, but we're creating a room. And when people walk into that room, do they feel welcomed? When you open up that app and it says, fill out here, does it actually make you feel like you're supposed to be there? And I know that sometimes gets lost because it's just a page or it's just a picture. But the way we ask questions, the way you say hello, it matters. Mm. It matters to me because you're connecting to me. This is a technology is allowing for a conversation. And if that conversation at the very beginning begins with, I don't trust you, who are you? (laughs) You're very different than welcome. I'm so glad you're here. That's the kind of tech we talk about at Code for America, because that's the opening of true accessibility where you are seeing people. And then from there, the questions move into more of who you are so that we can reach you and continue the dialogue. It's not just that first hello, but as we get to know you, are the systems really connecting with you and your community so that we can have a longer dialogue and understand what you need and what the community needs? Yeah, that's lovely. And that's That is, again, going back to trust as well, right? Just as you interact with whatever technology, whatever entity is is trying to provide you the support, you want to feel welcome in that interaction. And how do you think about, you know, the actual designing of that? Because I would imagine that would require a level of openness and diversity in the way that one you know, designs the the UX, designs the way the technology interacts with the community that's receiving it. 
That's right. And that's why our user research, our customer research, our constituency research is so important. It is why it is central to the work that we do, because there's no way you can make someone feel welcome if you don't know who they are or where they come from or the lives they live. One of the pieces that has been really important for Code for America is how do we start to integrate folks who have lived experiences, who have dealt with um, the food stamp program, who have dealt with the criminal justice system, and make sure that from the very beginning, they are embedded, their ideas are embedded, and their perspectives are embedded in the design of the programs in and of themselves. And um, sometimes it's really hard to explain this, except for when all of a sudden you see the two programs, the before and the after. And you go, wow, these, quote, feel different. Mm. If they do, we've done something right because we've incorporated something from the very beginning that you can't even place it, but you've made something feel different through technology and through the way it interacts with someone. Right. It sounds like insights and data and bringing those insights in 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 a very concrete way feels like a really big part of Code for America and the philosophy and the way the organization is run. It's absolutely core to us and always thinking, and what's interesting too, is we keep trying to push the envelope even more. So yes, we know that we have to do research to really understand it. Okay, now we're in a pandemic. How do we adjust? What are the folks that we've been sitting with? What are they going through that might be different? So we try to, as best we can, to really push the questions and the thinking and the relationships to get us there. And that is really core to who we are. And I think it makes us the kind of organization that evolves with the times because we know it's not just a moment in time, but things move and change and communities evolve as well. Right. And I have to ask, I personally have not worked in the public sector. I haven't really dived into that. And so my experience is a little limited. I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you bringing data and insights with a balance of empathy and diversity is, I think, such a critical balance to strike, something that tech is trying to excel at. I think technology as an industry are really good at data and insights. I think tech as an industry are are starting to learn the empathy and the diversity side of, of the house. And bringing those two things together is something that I would say that, you know, the tech industry is is also learning and growing in because as you say, customers and, and our world and the society are changing. I'm curious, you know, is this practice of bringing in insights and bringing in empathetic insights as well to speak to the community? Is that something that already exists in the public sector? Is that already something that exists within the way that governments work? Or do you think that that's something that the public sector is also learning? Oh, I definitely think it's something that the public sector is also learning. <laughs> there's no there's no doubt. I mean, particularly, I think the window I have had into this, right, being the first Latina chief of staff, and we're talking about healthcare, and somebody looks around and says, who knows how immigrants get healthcare, right? And you kind of look around the room and you realize, oh my gosh, like how is this not more readily available? How is this perspective not in the room? Or, right. or deciding whether maternity care should be part of the... Um, Affordable Care Act, and you're sitting there eight months pregnant as the chief of staff going, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, these are the things that everybody needs to start to see their fellow neighbors bring in the thread of America. And this is the thing that is so remarkable about being in this country, is this is what we're known for around the world. We are known for being a welcoming society. How do we ensure that government 
has that same kind of frame and thinking and process so that we can honestly say, yeah, we, we welcome you here and we see you through this journey together because you make this country better. And we know that by truly serving everyone, we are the kind of government that can lead the world in a way that is empathetic, that is innovative, that is all the things we hope to leave to our kids someday. I think that's the true beauty of what we're trying to do at Code for America, but also our moment right now to really align in that way. Do you see, I'm curious if you feel like there are signals already that show that government is ready for this shift change, for this sort of balance of art and science of bringing in data, hard data, as well as some of maybe I'll call it the the softer side of data where you're bringing in all those different viewpoints. Do you feel like there's progress there that we're inching along, that we're getting there? I do. And there's a couple of reasons I believe that. One, seeing a, a chief science and technology officer become a cabinet level role mm-hmm. is a huge deal, um, an enormous deal. It means the president is hearing exactly from that sector, from that way of thinking. But two, a whole host of new folks have come into office at all levels of government. They are technology born in a way that, and they think differently. They're just the, all of the different voices and perspectives that have come into government. And then I think third, I think the tech sector is, as we speak, really reflective at the moment of thinking about their role, not just in technology, but broader society, broader government. And that's been a really important aspect in order to really come together and say, I have a role, I have a citizen responsibility to make sure that tech shows up in a way that understands where we want to go in this country together. And so I'm, I've never been more hopeful about the role tech can play, but also about the direction of this country. Yeah. You know, as I listen to you speak, I'm, I'm very hopeful now. <laughs> So thank you for that. But I I also wonder if there's a benefit from tech to learn from government as well. Like certainly there are areas where, as you talk about Code for America and the work, it's bringing some of the insights and the learnings from the tech industry into government. I'm curious from your perspective, is it possible for the other way around? Are there learnings that tech can learn from the public sector, from the way that government is run? Like, is there a mutually beneficial sort of relationship there? Especially, you know, I'm just hearing from your perspective, really Code for America kind of really sitting at the intersection between these two. Yeah. You know, I think slowing down, strangely, um, I'm going to say slowing down and listening to different customers and clients. Yeah is really important, particularly the hardest to reach. I think there are a lot of lessons that, you know, we're really good at reaching the, you know, volume of X, but in order really to jump to that next level and reach all people, how do corporations make the time to have to hear from or figure out how to reach the hardest to reach? And I know that's often left to government to do or nonprofits to do, but I do believe Private sector companies have a lot to learn from that too. If at the very least, a more empathetic approach, or maybe if you just change this question just a little bit, you don't lose volume, but you gain a whole new community. So I I think there's something in that. I think there's also just this waking up every day and making the world better combined with innovation and shareholder value and all the things 
that government seeks to do, I think we need to get back to the role of what our community is. And I do actually think the next generations to come will hold corporations accountable if they don't. So I think that's an important piece that they can learn from the heart and the mission of public service. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just that empathy piece, as you have talked about, just down to the nuances of of conversation and being able to open up a conversation with citizens in a way that they feel like they're already coming into a respected place when they're already interacting with you feels also just as relevant to, you know, when we talk about on the tech side, customer experience and, and, you know, customer experience can sound and when you boil it down can be such a cold art, but it actually can be very much about the openness of a business to listen to their customers, very much like how the openness of government to listen to their constituents. That's right. We do. We talk a lot about, you know, the different code switching in Mm -hmm. order to have that kind of credibility and trust, no matter what group you're in, really understanding the different language. Um, One of the things that we put out was a language guide within the organization to make sure that we all understood these are the kinds of words we use or don't use. And this is why. Right. And that why Mm -hmm. is actually really important at Code for America, but really that why is really important for anyone interacting in the public and it with clients everywhere. Yeah. Listening to you speak about all of this makes me feel like there's a shift in the mindset of, you know, whether it's the tech industry or whether we're talking about partnering with government. So maybe the the best first step is really shifting that mindset to be a little bit more open, to be a little bit more empathetic. So that's really great to hear. <laughs> So as I as we talk about hope and as we talk about, you know, me, I'm personally feeling very optimistic in this conversation. I have to sort of, you know, mention this. We have a new term with the new administration. And I know you've penned a, a blog post recently sort of talking about how there is hope, but we are also teetering on a very precarious situation right now here in the U.S., So I'm curious from your perspective, beyond the sort of initial sense of hope and this ability to kind of take the opportunity to take us through this pivotal moment, what are some of the practical implications or sort of practical things you think about when partnering with a a new government? What are some of the opportunities and challenges in front of us with Biden-Harris and administration? Yeah. So number one is just making sure that as we recover, right, there's a lot of different crises going on in the world, in social unrest, the economic challenges ahead. But one of the things that always occurs to me, and I was on the Hill during the Great Recession, is remembering, yes, we have this moment of crisis right now that everyone is going to look to address in a relief package or whatever we're doing at this very moment. But what we need is we need government to have staying power throughout this. It's not just one moment in time, but we need to we need to walk it all the way through. And I think that's the part where I'm a, I, I get nervous while I remain hopeful is I get nervous that everyone really does want a silver bullet. We all do. Right. And to understand that it actually is the hard work of changing the way we think, of changing the processes, of making sure to hear the tough feedback and make things better. That's the part that I get nervous about and and really want to push on when we put these programs in place or when we see these things happen, that we see it all the way for a long period of time, but also 
all the way from the federal government to the state government, to the county, to the city, to the neighborhood. That full chain is a really important aspect to having people believe in government institutions again and to be that empowering mechanism that government should be. Yeah, I've in sort of some of the research we've done in in understanding more about Code for America, it seems like you all talk a lot about the stickiness of programs and initiatives that, and it reminds me of, as you're mentioning here, you know, the staying power, really. Is that accurate? Is that how philosophically you all think about it at Code for America, the way that you structure your your programs, your initiatives? Yeah, our whole idea is we don't we don't want to do this work. We want you to do this work, you know, government entity or community based organization or volunteer group. Right. We we want to make sure that we are coaching others, empowering others to do it. We'll we'll work on the next thing. <laughs> right. We'll help try and evolve that process. Right. But you, we want, we want you to feel, you know, you government, you system to feel empowered to do it. And to the extent that we can make some of these things just automatic, right? I mean, I talk, I think about record clearance in that way. The minute we can actually put in that once you, you know, have served your sentence, it is an automatic clearance so that you're, you can go get a job and you can take your kid on that school program, right? Those kinds of things, the minute they become automatic, we don't need the extra paperwork. You're not burdened by by paperwork or bureaucracy. Those are the kinds of things that get us excited, that it exists beyond us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move to the next thing. So really just kind of always being at the forefront and pushing the envelope, but ensuring that what was implemented before really, really sticks with the government partner that you have. Yeah, we don't go away. <laughs> so <laughs> oftentimes people say, oh, you're going to come in, you're going to do this. And we're like, no, don't right. worry. And anyone that's ever worked with us know we're always a phone call away um, when the system, when something happens with the system where they need help. So yeah. we're, we're partners. Yeah. I'm, I'm also all about finding the simplicity and sort of trying to eliminate as, uh, you know, bureaucracy where and if you can. It reminds me of this article I read ages ago around millennials really burning out and not being able to make the most simplest decisions. Like they don't know how to buy healthcare. They don't know how to buy insurance because they're just easily overwhelmed by complexity. And we always, millennials growing up with like technology at the fingertips where things are supposed to be really simple forms, et cetera. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of that simplicity for sure. I, I appreciate impatience that makes us all better and makes, us <laughs> all, makes it all easier. Absolutely. So before we sort of wrap everything up, I'd love to know where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work and the Code for America work? Yeah, well, you know, please follow us at, at you know, Code for America on Twitter. I'm at Amanda Renteria. Um, every now and then I'm also on sometimes BBC, ABC and MSNBC. And in fact, it wasn't just a couple of days ago that I got asked on NBC, does it really help if government works? Is that a way to make, uh, to, to bring the country together, to bring the parties together? And it was so fun to say, yes. <laughs> government working matters. You know, that's what really starts wow. to build trust. And um, I just really believe that. And I, um, so I thank you for having conversations like this because it does take all of us, right? All of us interact with government. All of us have a belief in our government. And I hope that we can all move to the same page where government becomes the kind of thing that we can all be proud of. 
Absolutely. And continuing to build that trust with government, certainly. I definitely. Well, it's been um, an honor and amazing to speak with you, to have this conversation. So great to hear what Code for America is doing, sitting at that intersection of the tech industry and government and, you know, pushing that envelope and constantly sort of not, you know, creating those, the stickiness in, in technology for government that I think is is so valuable. And as I've said before, Amanda, I am I am now very hopeful, very excited, very optimistic about our future and where both the tech industry and the public sector is going. So thank you so much for this conversation. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Amanda. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people like you find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another great episode for you. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.